This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. It is good to be with you this morning. I was glad that I did not have to wrestle Kalen for the pulpit this morning. I'll take these off so I can see you. Uh, I think there are maybe some times that I'm like, oh, okay, we got to go with that. Not today. Not today. God put a burden on my heart to share this message, and um, that's what I'm here to do. Um, Jason led, Jason Everett led with that psalm this morning, Psalm 3415. And boy, that, uh, that is right in line with my lesson today that you see titled behind me, Value Everyone. Eyes are on the righteous, the Lord tells us, and his ears toward their cry. And that is the truth. So it's good to be up here. This is a very important subject. It's going to be on the sanctity of human life. Most of you all know that I serve on the board of the First Choice Pregnancy Medical Center in Fort Smith and I've had the privilege to do that for, I think it's about eight years now. Became involved, uh, Janice and I were attending a fall banquet years ago and they asked at the end for volunteers and we were so moved by the message that evening that um, yeah, I felt led to get involved and so I've had the privilege of being involved in that organization since that time and it is a beautiful, beautiful ministry. Now this is, you know, not a, uh, a fun topic. It's not a feel-good topic. I've had those and I enjoy those, we all do. This is a serious topic, but one I felt so burdened and compelled to share this morning. Uh, Recently, First Choice had their banquet, and um, as you in this congregation support it overwhelmingly with your prayers, your involvement, we have many in here that volunteer for different events. It's a wonderful thing, a lot of our young people too. Um, we had our banquet recently raised over $140,000 to the ministry to save the unborn and to help those that have been affected, impacted by abortion. You know, at first choice, the focus is saving them both. You save the mother for Jesus and you save the baby. So the message brought by our banquet speaker, his name is Mike Spencer of Project Life Voice. That's his organization, Project Life Voice. He brought the presentation and it really did, listening to this, put a burden on my heart because his message was we need to get this word out. You know, oftentimes it's not talked about from the pulpit, and it needs to be. So much of what I'm going to share today was taken from Mike's presentation. I think he did a wonderful job, and I, we were blessed to have Dwayne and Carrie with us at our banquet table that evening last week, and uh, I think they both would agree that he gave a compelling message on this very very important topic. So it's important, but it's a difficult subject. 
not easy to preach. For many, it is a deeply personal in, uh, message that invokes painful memories and feelings of guilt. This is the reason to approach this with grace and compassion. You know, we're going to sing Amazing Grace after this message, and I think as I complete this message, you'll know why. But as difficult and painful as the subject is, um, it's not something to be silent about. It's not something to be silent about. As many churches have done because the church remains silent, when the church remains silent, more babies will die and more mothers will be burdened with guilt and regret. You know, I never really thought about the abortion recovery portion of the ministry at first choice and at many pregnancy medical centers or pregnancy centers around the country. And that was that years ago at that banquet and just how important that is for us all to keep in mind the importance of how we love on people and how we show grace. So what are we the church to do? The church is called to be a thundering, protective voice for children, regardless, regardless of where they're located, and a redemptive, grace-extending community for those facing unplanned pregnancy or those who have had abortions. These are not competing interests. We can, can and must do both. You see, forgiveness of themselves must precede healing. We can't heal if we can't feel forgiven. So I'm grateful for our church family, one here that values everyone. And I know you put your money where your mouth is as we share in many ways, including the First Choice Pregnancy Medical Center. So let me begin by reading you a story. This story is the diary of a little girl. And it was brought to us by author and pastor Adrian Rogers. Maybe some of you have heard of him, listened to him. Let me share this story. Dear Diary, October 5th. Today my life began. My parents don't know it yet. I am so small, as small as a pollen of a flower. But it is I already. I will be a girl. I will have blonde hair and blue eyes. Nearly everything is settled already, even that I shall love flowers. October 19. I have grown a little, but I am still too small to do anything by myself. My mother does almost everything for me. Though she does not know it, she is carrying me right under her heart. She does not know that she is already helping me and that she is even feeding me with her own blood. She is so good. But it is true that I am, but is it true that I am not yet a real person? That only my mother exists? I am a real person. Just a small crumb of bread is still real bread. My mother is. 
and I am. October 23rd, my mouth is just now beginning to open. Just think, in a year or two, I'll be laughing. I will start to talk. My first word will be mama. October 25, today my heart began to beat. It will beat softly for the rest of my life, never stopping. After many years, though, it will tire, and then it will stop, and I shall die. November 2, I am growing continually. My arms and legs are taking shape, but I must wait a long time before those tiny legs will raise me to my mother's arms, and before those little arms will be able to conquer the earth and befriend people. November 12th, my fingers are beginning to form on my hand. How small they are. One day I will stroke my mother's hair with them. I shall take her hair in my mouth and she will say, oh, nasty. November 20, only today the doctor told my mother that I am living under her heart. How happy she must be. Are you happy, mother? November 25, my mother and father are probably thinking about a name for me. They don't even know that I'm a little girl, so they're probably calling me Andy, but I want to be called Barbara. I am growing so big. December 10, my hair is growing. It is as bright and shiny as the sun. I wonder what kind of hair my mother has. December 12th, I am almost able to see, though it's night all around me. When mother brings me into this world, it will be full of sunshine and overflowing with flowers. I've never seen a flower, you know, but more than anything, I want to see my mother. How do you look, mom? December 24th, I wonder if my mother hears the delicate beat of my heart. Some children are born with sickly hearts, and the gentle finger of the doctor performs miracles to make them healthy. But my heart is healthy. It beats so evenly. Tap, 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 tap. You shall have a healthy little daughter, Mama. December 28th. Today, my mother killed me. The diary of a preborn child. This past January 2021 marked the 48th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. On January 22, 1973, where nine men wore black robes and legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, resulting in 62.5 million deaths, or approximately 2,700 deaths per day, are killed are as a result of abortion. Today and every day in the U.S., innocent babies will be slain. These preborn babies receive no trial to determine if they shall receive capital punishment, no jury, be appointed no lawyer to speak on their behalf, and will be executed in a horrible way. Abortion in the United States happens about every 32 seconds. Unfortunately for us, as Christians, there's confusion about what our response should be about abortion. Is it political, making it off limits for us to talk about? It may be political. Or is it women's rights? 
you know, none of the business of the men to talk to? Or is it just another issue like the plight of homelessness? This confusion needs to be addressed, including from the pulpit of our churches, nationwide, worldwide. Now, responding rightly to abortion requires us to think rightly about abortion. My hope is to help you do this by addressing four key questions that lead to this confusion. The first is science. The second, philosophical. The third, theological. And the fourth, the ethical or moral questions about abortion. Let's address these point, but let's first turn to God's word. So let's start by answering this question. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 25 through 37 will help us respond rightly to that question. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I know you all are very familiar with that. Let me read it. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite. Where he came to the place and saw him, he also passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took to out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So the first question I will strive to address for you this morning is this on science. The science of the preborn. Is the preborn child my neighbor? Does my fear of moral responsibility include them or, or just a blob of tissue? To simplify the debate, Greg Kokel, Christian apologist, author, and founder of Christian organization called Stand to Reason, a man that Joseph had a chance to hear speak when he went to South Carolina this past summer, said, if unborn human, if the unborn is not human, no justification for elective abortion is necessary. But if the unborn are human, 
no justification for elective abortion is adequate. You get that? You don't need to justify it if it's not human, but if it is human, there will be no justification adequate. The science of human embryologist says from conception, the science says of embryologists, from conception, you are distinct, you are living, and you are whole human being. That's the science. First, distinct. The preborn is distinct from its mother. Different DNA, blood type, race, gender can potentially be different from the mother. You're distinct. The preborn is living. It metabolizes food. It's growing through cellular reproduction. And it responds to stimuli. And it is whole. This is important to understand. It is whole. Although not mature, genetically complete. And this is critically important to understand. Living or, an embryo or organisms have inner natures that work as an integrated, coordinated whole to order their capacities and develop. Some perhaps, maybe you have said, oh, it's just a fertilized egg. That's a process. That's not a stage. It's a process. That's important to under understand that. The moment that a human sperm penetrates a human egg, that's conception, and a new entity comes into existence. Zygote is the name for the first cell formed at conception, which is the earliest developmental stage of a human embryo. According to the work of Keith Moore, professor of anatomy and also TVN Persaud, professor of embryology wrote in the book or the article titled developing human clinically oriented embryology they said the new human zygote has a genetic competition composition that is absolutely unique to itself different from any other human that has ever existed including that of its mother As Randy Alcorn points out, something non-human doesn't become human by getting older and bigger. Whatever is human is human from the beginning. Psalm 139.13 is perfectly aligned with this. For thou, didst, for thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst knit me together in my mother's womb. And also the prophet Jeremiah wrote these inspired words, taken from Jeremiah 1.5. God said when he formed Jeremiah, this prophet, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before he was born, he was going to be a prophet to the nations. That's God's word. And even some abortionists and many pro-choice philosophers agree with this. Yeah, they understand it's a human at the very beginning. So the science is settled. And this is in 1973. 
Science has shown us a lot. Let's move now to the philosophy question. What makes humans valuable? Because of, is it because of what we do or the kind of thing we are? The pro-life Christian worldview says all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Right to life is one of those. And that's taken from our U.S. Declaration of Independence. We believe that in inclusive intolerance, every person matters. It doesn't matter. Black or white, rich or poor, born or unborn, we value everyone. Because this is the only unshakable foundation for human equality. Every individual, regardless of their race, their gender, their size, or any other superficial distinction, has inherent moral worth simply by virtue of being created in God's image. You have moral worth because you were created in God's image. It's also rooted in the belief that we're more than the function of our parts or the whole of our parts. We're not human doings. We're human beings defined by something inside. We have a, a nature or an essence about us that makes us human, different than anything else. You know, you are the same person today as you were inside your mother's womb. Same person. There's a story I want to share with you. This, general, this uh, young man's name is Samuel Alexander Armas. He was born December 2nd, 1999, seven days before, or nine days before Zach was born, my son. Through some testing, while his mother was pregnant, they identified that he had spinal bifida. And the doctors, conversing with the mother, agreed that they would do that surgery in utero. And for this surgery, they had a photographer come. And this photo that was taken at that time became very famous. And it's called the Hand of Hope. You see, where they had the mother's uterus cut open, his arm, his left arm reached up and touched the finger of the surgeon. It's an amazing, amazing picture. They were able to correct that spinal bifida and perform that surgery, saving many post-birth surgeries for little Samuel. And they did that at 21 weeks of pregnancy. Today, that young man is very active. It's an amazing story. 21 weeks. If you haven't seen that picture, look it up. Samuel Alexander Armas. Conversely, the so-called pro-choice view divorces 
the humanness from personhood. Claiming inclusion in human community isn't enough to merit legal protection. You're human, but yet you're not a person. Christopher Say Kazar rightly refers to this as the pro-choice performance view. Because the preborn must meet arbitrary chosen tests established by the powerful. Tests about self-awareness, tests about heartbeat, whether they're normal. Sentience, which is a feeling or sensation as distinguished from being uh, from perception or thought. If they don't measure up, then they're treated like trash. The pro-choice view is intolerant, elitist, and an exclusive, exclusivistic view. The minute you divide the room or the womb on the subjective chosen standards to determine who lives and who dies, destroys the foundation of human equality. At its core, it's bigotry. We're repeating history. You know, there's only four differences between the preborn and us. And none justify killing you at that stage or now. The acronym used is SLED, S-L-E-D, to describe these differences. The D, let's start with the S, the size. Yes, you're bigger now. L is the level of development. E is the environment or location. And D is the degree of dependency. Differences, yes, but not morally significant. We wouldn't use these tests now at your current age. Or should we go down to the local nursing home and apply those tests as well? Clinton Wilcox rightly points out, the question of when human life begins is not a difficult one. It only becomes difficult when you want to justify killing people. So first we review the science. We just reviewed the philosophy, meaning what makes us valuable, human beings, not human doings. Let's talk about the theological question. Is the Bible silent, as many claim, about abortion? Well, some say if abortion is so wrong, why, does the, why doesn't the Bible mention it? You know, you may have seen or heard of Whoopi Goldberg. On The View, she said, quote, there's nothing in the book, that is the Bible she's referring, that says anything about abortion. Let's make sure of that. The Ten Commandments are ten. There's only ten. Well, that's a faulty assumption. What the Bible doesn't expressly condemn, it condones. Killing puppies, pouring toxins in our rivers, is that true? If it doesn't expressly say it, it condones? Of course not. And we know this is wrong by inference. Scripture speaks of God's creation affectionately and calls us to steward what he's created. Secondly, the Bible is not silent on abortion any more than suffocating someone with a pillow. 
The Bible condemns unjust taking of innocent human life. If we remember, the sixth commandment says, thou shalt not murder. Let's keep in mind, abortion is just simply a method of killing innocent human beings. Since Cain killed Abel, mankind's innovation has devised numerous methods of killing each other from the beginning. And just as we don't need a Bible verse expressly condemning suffocating someone with a pillow, we don't need one condemning the method of murder we call abortion. Nor do we need a Bible verse expressly condemning killing the preborn any more than we need one condemning the murder of a freshman or Hispanic. Do we need to be that specific in our word to follow it? Of course not. God's word tells us in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and a man who sows discord among brothers. I think the Bible's pretty clear on abortion. Fourthly, let's address the ethical, the moral question about abortion. What is our biblical duty to those who are marginalized, that is oppressed or targeted for death, and to those who face unplanned pregnancies or those who have been affected by abortion? First, let us review our duty to the preborn threatened by abortion. At the very least, we need to expose this evil injustice. Ephesians 5.11 says, Paul wrote, Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose it. Do we say that? Well, that's not relevant. Paul didn't specifically say abortion. We know it clearly applies to expose those evil deeds. Greg Kokel, he says, for most Christians, abortion is a yawner, a little tiring. And this is because most Christians have never seen the effects of abortion. We can see every evil under the sun, but we can't see what abortion does to children. That's why Planned Parenthood, if you recall, worked so hard to silence the secret video and audio recordings for their work about selling aborted baby parts. You may be old enough to remember that. It wasn't that long ago. Those recordings have done much to provide the images exposing this horrific and unlawful practice. This was in March of 2017 when Planned Parenthood took those two to court. Let me read this. March 2017, California's Attorney General Xavier Becerra announced the charges against David uh, Daliadin and Sandra Merritt, saying the state, quote, will not tolerate the criminal recording of confidential conversations. 
wonder where Mr. Bursera is now. Well, our current president promoted Alexander Bursera to the Secretary of Health and Human Services in the United States of America. What is the role of that job? The duties of the Secretary revolve around human conditions and concerns in the United States. This includes advising the President on matters of health, welfare, and income security programs. Nothing has the ability to awaken moral institutions, intuitions in us like an image. Isn't that the truth? You ever, for anybody who uses Facebook, you scroll through your Facebook, what do you like to see? Pictures? Or do you like a whole lot of words? Nothing grabs you like an image, like pictures. Love pictures of our children. You know, you have a Bible verse. Well, you couch that in a beautiful sunset or on a mountain, and it just, there's just some depth to that. Pictures are amazing. They really are. Love looking at pictures. You know I do. I take thousands of pictures. Nothing has the ability to awaken our moral intuitions. Maybe some of you parents or older teens have seen such images taken from abortions or results of abortions through research or movies like Unplanned. Greg Cunningham says, almost everyone knows intuitively abortion is evil, but almost no one knows how evil until they've seen it, because it is unspeakably evil. You know, the challenge is, there's no appropriate place to show those kind of images. We can see every evil under the sun on TV or the internet or movies, right? So if you're a teen or adult, I would encourage you, because if you don't have this burn in you, this desire to do something, you just may not be fully aware of what it is. And I would encourage you to let those moral intuitions be sparked with an image of what goes on. You know, I would want to show you images. You know, at our banquet, we saw images. Three stages, because abortion is illegal at all three trimesters in the United States. But we don't have, we have a lot of kids. We don't have enough hands to cover the eyes in here. So I will let that be something that you parents take care of. Or maybe we'll have something in our house sometime, a showing of unplanned. But it is something that I think you should be aware of. So the first was to expose. The second is indifference. It's one of the confusions, indifference. Holocaust survivor Ellie Weasel says, Indifference is always the friend of the enemy, for it benefits the aggressor. Aborted children are the ultimate victims of indifference. When the church is silent or indifferent, babies die and young mothers are saddled with guilt. 
Surrendering the little lambs from our own churches to the abortionist knife without a fight calls into question the truthfulness of our gospel before a watching world. And it reinforces in their minds that the preborn are indeed disposable, unworthy of our love. What else are non Christians to think when those who worship Jesus, the lover of children, refuse to love the very ones he so tenderly loves? Another issue is avoidance. In the parable of the Good Samaritan that I read a little bit ago, the priest and the Levite walked on the other side. They avoided that. To avoid their moral responsibility to the man hurt by the robbers. Now, although these are fictional characters, we despise them. If there's one common refrain from those outside the church, it's the church is filled with hypocrites. A wildly exaggerated accusation, but one we substantiate when we ignore the least of these. Perhaps it's because we're, it's inconvenient for us. When it comes to how the preborn are viewed in our society, most churches have a great deal in common with the abortion industry. Both views, both view precious preborn children as miserably inconvenient. For the abortionists, this becomes justification to dismember them, and for the church, this has become the justification to remain silent while the abortionist dismembers them. But which is worse? The abortionist who doesn't believe the preborn are valuable and kills them? They're not valuable persons to be done away with? Or the Christian who recognizes the humanity and the personhood of the preborn but does nothing to rescue them as they're led away to the slaughter? Perhaps we're tongue-tied. We are grateful for those who champion the cause of the preborn. You know, I think of all the people working at our local center and their centers across this nation, and all the people who volunteer there and support it with prayers and their money. But most have abandoned their moral duty to become and become tongue-tied when it comes to speaking up for the preborn. Could the heroes of Hebrews 11, whose faith compelled them to shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of flames, and administer justice, have imagined a day when shepherds, guys like me and you, called by God to protect the flock, would instead surrender precious children from their own flock to the abortionist's knife without so much as a whimper from the pulpit? Here are some objections to speaking about this in this setting. Speaking up for the preborn will distract from the gospel. Notice no one in the body of Christ ever argues this way with respect to victims of sex trafficking or the homeless. Only the preborn are treated with such contempt. And only in hell could one view rescuing children from abortionist knife a distraction 
from the gospel. Jesus rebuked his disciples for this kind of pernicious thinking. Suffer the children to come to me, he said. Far from a distraction, rescuing children from abortion is the gospel in action. How about this question, moving along? Is our gospel for those who are conveniently loved and rescued, or everyone? The lesson of the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan is the moral duty to sacrifice for our neighbors, whether beaten and abandoned in a ditch, denied legal protection, and abandoned in the womb. One's location does not determine one's value nor does it exempt us from our moral duty to the victim. We are not exempt. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not one who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Proverbs 31.8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Why is it that these commands seem to benefit everyone, every other oppressed people group, except those opposed and targeted for death? Being bound to Christ and his gospel doesn't provide us refuge from the conflict over abortion. It demands our engagement. Both a love for Christ and a love for Christ compel us. The love for Christ and the love of Christ compel us to love the preborn. So responding to abortion, a gospel issue, loving yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself issue. Legalized abortion is our Goliath. Indifference toward the preborn threatened by abortion is amputating our spirit and disfiguring the soul of our church. When we see it around us and feel in our heart and know that, am I doing everything I can do? And if I'm not, it disfigures the soul of the church. It just hardens it. You know, in a book, Named Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade, John Newton, former slave trader, turned Christian and wrote Amazing Grace, said this. He said, I know of no method of getting money, not even that of robbing for it upon the highway, which has so direct a tendency to efface the moral sense, to rob the heart of every gentle and humane disposition and to harden it like steel against all impressions of sensibility. That's what John Newton wrote about the slave trade. You know, in this sense, abortion is like slavery. But it not only faces the moral sense of those who perform abortions, it hardens like steel the hearts of those who sit by idly as children from our own churches are aborted. Have you ever asked yourself, where were the Christians in Germany in the 1930s and 40s when Hitler was 
dehumanizing the Jews, rounding them up and killing them by the millions. Did you ever ask yourself, like, where were they? I mean, you look at these pictures and you're like, how did this happen? Or in the 1960s in our nation, during the civil rights movement, when blacks were treated less than human. The plight of, this, of our preborn is our Germany today, of our civil rights issue today. The church's indifference with regard to abortion damages our gospel witness. What are non-Christians to think when we speak adoringly of Jesus, lover of children, yet refuse to speak up for his little lambs targeted by abortion? Here's a question. Is our gospel for everyone or only those conveniently loved and rescued? You know, if we will not work to convince those in our own churches not to abort their children, how will we ever convince those outside the church? Finally, what is our duty to those who've had abortions or responsible for an abortion and to the young mothers facing unplanned pregnancies? What is our duty and responsibility? It is this, to love them tenderly, pointing them to the one who died to forgive them. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is the key. No sin is so great, but God's grace is not yet greater still. Isaiah 53.5, which was the gospel in one Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes we are healed. When we go silent, we sentence those who've had abortions to suffer alone. We need to dispel the myth that speaking out against abortion will only inflict greater harm on those who've had abortions. Scott Klusendorf said, silence does not spare women who've had abortion hurt. It spares them healing. He's right. Silence sentences women to a life of pain and regret. And I'll add this. It really communicates one of two messages. And I distinctly remember Mike sharing this at the banquet last week. It tells us one of two things. And I want you to remember this. It either says abortion is not so bad or the gospel is not so good. Abortion is not so bad, or the gospel is not so good. We can do better than this. Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love. 
In John 8, 36, it says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's no sin so great, including abortion, but that God's grace is not greater still. Jesus doesn't just promise forgiveness. He turns ashes into beauty. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So why would we hide this message? This message of hope and healing. The pro-life portrayed as a bunch of men. Here's another issue. Pro-life pro-lifers, portrayed as a bunch of men who oppress women. Quote, waging war on women, it said. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Just follow the money. There are 550 surgical abortion clinics in the U.S., many owned and operated by men for financial profit, profit off of women, huge money-making businesses. That's why Planned Parenthood closes when abortion is outlawed. Abortion is their bread and butter. You know, there are 2,700 pregnancy help centers in the U.S. Most run by women, for women, at no cost to women. Offering ultrasounds and parenting classes and baby boutiques, all free, including first choice. Pregnancy Center at Fort Smith. And there are more than 300 maternity homes, many run by the body of Christ. So don't believe if you hear some pro-choice say, well, you're just waging war on women. That's not true. Do the math. Follow the money. To close... Being bound to Jesus and his gospel doesn't provide us refuge from the conflict over abortion. It demands our engagement. Love compels us to enter the battle. As we said, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. When injustice is found, when the weak and vulnerable are targeted for death, when people are hurting, faithful Christians become rescuers. There's a reason for this. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the consummate rescuer. We stand on his shoulders when we stand for the preborn and their mothers. This is what it means to love. So, church, what should we do? First, speak up for the unborn who have no voice. Hold the hand of those who have been wounded, leading them to the cross of Christ. Get involved in opportunities to speak out and stand up. We know Hollywood writers, liberal media, has done tons of speaking on this subject. And it's time God's people speak clearly. Isaiah 58.1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare, my people, their transgressions. To the house of Jacob, their sins. Number two, be better informed. Although it's tempting, you can't be ignorant about what is going on around us today. Yeah, I'd like to look away too. Vote accordingly, applying greater weight to the greater 
moral value. You know, Mike Spencer, that speaker, is going to be coming back to this area in February. February 19th, in fact, he's doing it with our local pregnancy medical center. And he holds a three-hour workshop on just this. It's going to be on a Saturday. I'll be sure to keep you all posted with that. Pray that that's a benefit for our local area widely. Number three, pray to outlaw these elective abortions. Number four, make sure sexual morality is taught in our homes and our church. And number five, learn to forget self-righteousness. Reach out to those responsible and hurt by abortion or facing unplanned pregnancy. Have more compassion. Show more love. Increase your understanding. When we are judgmental, it's like we're driving them into the abortionist's arms. And finally, pray for mercy and space to repent in this country and get right with God. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. Let's do that. Let's do our part. For God to move in this country, in this world, that we have a revival in America. Let's pray for that. Now, we need everyone praying and reaching out to God. We don't want any prayers to be unheard or not impactful. So I would say this. Have nothing separating you from God the Father. Have no unrepented sin in your heart separating you from God. So at this time, I want to extend the invitation. If you have never responded to the gospel, you can do that now and be washed in the waters as in Acts twenty-two sixteen, dying to your old self and being raised up with Christ. Also, perhaps you need our prayers. And I know I covered your prayers for me and my family. If that's you, please come forward as we sing the song of invitation responding to the gospel call. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647 Five, eight. May God bless you.